Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein, and this week we'll be speaking about music. Music inspires us, also entertains. We'll be speaking to three of the uh, great singers, Zamrim of our generation, Yaakov Shweki. Everybody knows his songs. Um, he inspires all of us. Listen to Yaakov. You should not go into it unless you are married and stable in your married life. And that's when you'll be able to have a great communication and a great home that you can come back to. Berg Shmuel Kamenetsky also told me, he said, Yaakov, you know, the money will come. He said, but watching your kids grow up, you don't want to miss that time. That time will not come back. Then we'll listen to perhaps the most creative of the Mazamrim and our generation, Lippa Schmelzer, and he certainly had an odyssey, tortuous journey. I'll talk about how music has helped him and inspired many others along the path. There are certain things from our childhood that are always going to be there. It's years and years to grow and to get out of it, and you can walk around being this uh, uh, beautiful person, this, this uh, superstar, but then, uh, then inside you have, you have a lot of struggles. You have a lot of struggle that keeps on haunting you down. And then we'll have the great, the young Hasidish superstar, the Belza Talmud of the Mir, you know, my alma mater, Shulam Lemmer, the first from a singer to get a major label to sign him up. And he'll speak about how he's inspired people to be Megayer. Bali Chuva, here's Shulam. I was in Chicago for a concert, and they told me you should re- meet your, <clears throat> meet the sponsor. And they say the name, I didn't such a, they didn't actually have a very uh, Yiddish name at all. So I'm like, okay, you know, of course, no problem. So I went, I met her, and she says, you know, I, I just have to say that I listened to your songs on YouTube, and I got so inspired, and I listened to other songs, and then it got me so connected to, to Judaism, and eventually converted. So it's interesting to hear from the people who've inspired us, who some people had visions, revelations through them, and uh, should make for a very interesting and inspiring program. Before we go to our tire, I want to talk, you know, our website We'll be out shortly. We'll have, I don't know, 350 some odd different shiurim and it'll be searchable. So you put in the topic that you want and you'll get a choice of the different shiurim or you could do it according to the different rabbanim. Headlines, I get calls. It's sold out in all the stores. The printer's out. You can get it on Amazon. Three volumes. It's the only place you can get it. Will it be reprinted? We'll get around to it one day. But in the interim, you can get a soft, like the way Amazon self-prints, paperback from Amazon. That's responding to the inquiries that we've had. Let me go share with you a Tyra, a fabulous Tyra. Should we be asking more from Hashem or less from Hashem? Like Yaakov Avinu says, You know, sometimes you have a collector come to you and you give him what you think is a nice check and the guy turns around and he says, no, I want another check. And, you know, you get a little bit insulted, like what? You know, I, I just gave you what I thought I could. I mean, is it the same thing with Kaviyachal? Does he want to give you more? Should you be asking for more or should you be? But there are carrots. I don't know, come humble. Ask for a little. Don't be chatzaf. Here's something interesting. We just finished Martin Tyra. What does Rashi say by Martin Tyra in Parshish Yisra? You test, test, you'll put it up on side, of course. It says, Gam yaminu The Kaviachal says Moshe. And it says, Vayaged Moshe as Hashem. And then it says, Vayyemrashal So Rashi says, Vayaged Moshe. He says, why did he go tell them? He says, because Klal Yisrael sent Moshe to Hashem, and they said, you know, you're sending down the Torah through Moshe Rabbeinu. We're not satisfied with that. We're not happy. We don't want an intermediary. 
You know, we've just been through Mitzrayim. It was, it was really hard over there. We struggled in a darkness for 400 years. We want more. We want to speak to you directly. Sounds a little bit chutzpahdek, right? And what does Hashem say to Moshe Rashi says? Really? They do? So then tell them. V'kidashtem. They have to separate. They have to be Makadish, Gimel Yomim. There's going to be Koilois, Ubrakim. The whole Kabbalah Satayra was different. Why? Because Klal Yisrael said, no, we want more. We're not satisfied. We, we want more from you. And so we see this number of times in the Torah. What do you have in next week's parsha? By Pesach Sheni. There were the Yidin who said they couldn't. They were the Noisei or Yosef. They were telling me they couldn't bring Pesach. They couldn't bring the carbon Pesach. And they were very hurt. Carbon Pesach is not just a regular carbon. It's Moha Avoida Zeis. It's considered the entry into service of Kaviachal. And what did they say to Moshe? Lamanigara. What does Lamanigara mean in English? It's not fear. Tell Hashem it's just not fear. And what does Moshe say? I don't know what to do when he goes back and Rabbi Nishom says, we're going to make a Pesach Sheini. And where do you have another case? Benoist Tzalafchad. They weren't supposed to Yarshin Eretz Yisrael. And they go to Moshe and what do they say? Loma Nigara. It's not fear. And Moshe goes back and the world changes. You have Yerusha Sabas and they get their Chelik in Eretz Yisrael. All three times, and there are others, where a Yid says to the Rabbi Nishom, no, it's just, I, I, we need more. Harchev picha v'amaleu. Kaviachal says to them, and he's, and he's masking him, and he says, you asked? You really want more? You want to serve better? You want a bigger Kabbalah Satayra? You want more Nerech Yisrael? Open your mouth. Harchev picha v'amaleu. I'm going to give you more. What does that mean to us? A lot of times we're scared. Am I asking Hashem for too much? Should I ask for more? Does he want to give me more? He wants to give you much more. He wants you to ask. Let me share with you a Torah that comes from heaven. Did you ever wonder when you have a mem, a menatzbach, mem, nun, sadik, pei, chaf at the end of a word, suddenly it grows, the foot of the chaf grows another inch, the pei suddenly goes up into heaven, the tzadik becomes so big, the nun comes all the way down. What's going on? Why is this? Why did menatzbach at the end of it? Why does it grow foot? What happened? So the Vilna Gain says on the Chazal, it says menatzbach, those are the letters that grow. Those who had the visionaries, those who had great vision, said them. So the Goyen says something, an amazing Tyra. He says, Tzayfrim refers to, you know, the, the Jews, the Eden, the whoever it was who said it. He says, the Mem is the Mekoshesh. Moshe didn't know. He could have said, quiet. He said, I don't know what to do. Okay, we'll leave him where he is. He went back to Hashem. He says, you didn't teach us this part of Tyra. And we need to know, what are we supposed to do? Same thing, the nun is the noikivis Hashem. Tzalot, the tzaddik is tzlafchad. They said, we're not satisfied. Lamanigara. Pesach Sheni, the pay is Lamanigara. The chaf goes for Cosby and Pinchas. Moshe didn't know. Kanoyim paigim by. Pinchas came along. He says, Allah havein moirin kain. He stretched the taira. So he says, menatz pachtsoif imamru. Here we have, you know, I may be adding a little bit to what the Goyen said, but you know, the oisius of the Aleph Bays. Kiyaduas, Zaire many times, are the building blocks of creation. The Chafbez Isis, Chafbez Isis, the Torah, they build the Torah, they build the world. But what happens if Vayit says, I need more, Lamanigar, I want to serve more, I want to do better, please, you must. The lettuce starts to grow. Suddenly that chaf, it's like a hand, it's stretching, it's stretching, it's stretching. Like Bas Pare, the hand of Bas Pare, what did he say? She put her out of her hand. She wanted so much, her hand grew a few feet. The chaf, the hand, the arm, it's stretching, it's stretching. When a yid asks, Hashem says, 
Really? I'm going to make the very building blocks of creation change. The mem will close, the nun grows afoot, the tzaddik goes to heaven, the fey goes to heaven. You have the ability at the end of the word, you know, at the end, at the end of, the, when the end of your reality, that's it, I can't do any more. Hashem says, that's all you got. You say, no, 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 Rabbi Nishal, I must have more. We need more. You see this by Chana. Chana, Elimelech said to her, I'm better to you than, than 10 children. What is he telling her? He's saying, Elimelech was a Navi. He says, you're never going to have children. I'm sorry, but I could do so much. I'll give you as much love as if you had seven children. And what does Chana say? I can't. And that's when she goes to the Beis HaMegdash and she cries. And after the child is given, she gives a Shira. And you know what the essence of the Shira is? The essence of the Shira is, I was an Akara. And I, I, I said to Hashem, I, I don't accept this. You must. And my Sabaratius were changed. And her whole story is about how it's in the hands of a Yid to change my chatim. The great warriors, they had weapons, artillery, and missiles. What happened? Nechshalim azruchayil. You helped the downtrodden against, you changed the Sedebaratius, the mighty win, survival of the fittest. And the other hand, Sveim Balechem, Niskaru, Ureivim those who were fat and stuffed went hungry. Those who were starving got food. Adakara, Yolda Shiva. You could have the desolate, the barren should have Shiva, and those who had many, how all of creation, the very letters, the building blocks of creation, a yid could change with his tefillah. The Rabbi Shalom said, you can ask for more. So much so, I'll stretch the Maiseberatius to accommodate your request, to effectuate your request. You know, my Shverzuch, his father was Reb Shraga Feivel, and he used to sometimes tell us stories. Shraga Feivel came to America. There was one yeshiva. He founded Tarvadas. Well, he was brought into Tarvadas. After he was found, exact, if he was the exact founder, of it, there was nothing there. It was desolate. Jews worked on Shabbos. They were fired if they didn't, etc. At that time, 90%, 95% of those who came, they threw their tefillin overboard. When they, and it was a desolate. It was a churban. He founded like, really the first yeshiva. My shver said a story. He said he went to Detroit with his son-in-law, Sendelichna, who founded Boys Town afterwards. They went to collect for Tarvadas. And it was like life or death. I mean, will the yeshiva survive or not? He said they spent a week in Detroit and they came back with $12 after being there for a week. And he was like beside himself and he said, I, I, I don't accept this. I, I, I won't. You know, is there some type of a gzera? There's a, there's a ruach, well, it's, maybe it was from the sitra achra, there won't be tari. We will, we will not accept this. We will. And he just powered on with kayach of Torah and tefillah to create a new reality. So what does Rashi say? If we hadn't said Ritzaynenu Lirises Malkenu, there would have been a much smaller Kabbalah Satira. There wouldn't have been thunder and lightning and Ava Anun, etc. Maisha would have gotten it. That would have been the end of it. It would have been like a, a quiet, you know, s- simple thing. We changed the very essence of the Estakal Baraisu Baryalma, the essence of creation. We changed the building blocks. How? By asking. The Rabbi Shalom wants to give you much more. You just have to ask him for it. You think it's extravagant what you want? It's extreme? It's exorbitant? You know what? If you ask, Hashem is just waiting there. He's waiting to give you much more than you otherwise would have gotten. That's the message of the Menatzbach. Menatzbach, say, the Jews understand, the Yidin understand, the Rabbi wants to give you much, much more. Let's go to our riddle of the week. 
This is a very good riddle. It's a Geshmaka riddle. You could ask it any week. 52 weeks a year. This is a good riddle. What do we say in the parasha? The mitzvah birchas kaihanim and the Gemara darshins, a zar who benches birchas kaihanim is over basay and the, the uh, ramah, and it's the first ramah in Chelik Bez in Mishnabura, easy to remember. It says, It's a Isra say. So the Bir Halach asks a question. He says, if a czar is not allowed to do berachas kehanim all the time, when people bench their friends, they bench their kids. She says, if you hold mitzvahs, ain't shrichas kavana, you the mitzvah. Every time you bench your kids, yivrech Hashem v'yishmerecha, you're over atem v'loy zarim. Seems in the times of the Mishnah where people parted, they used to bench each other away. You're over the iser. He says, maybe you're going to say it's dafka b'shast and siyas kapayim. He's mesopik. So what's the tarot he gives? He says, since the takana of Chazal is only to do berchas, when do we do our berchas ganim? Is but in middle of Shman Esrei, b'toy So he says, if you do it, you bench your friend or you bench your kids, and it's shaloi b'shas hatfila. It's all you are like mechavim beferish that you don't want to have, you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be mekayim mitzvahs berchas ganim. And we know that even if you hold mitzvah saying shirchas kavan, if you have kavan lehepach, you're not. So bottom line is, when you bench your kids, it's shaloi b'shas hatfila, and that's why it's muta. Otherwise, there would be a problem, an iserase of atem v'leizarim. That in Eretz Yisrael they don't do this, but here in Chutz Laretz, what do we say? B'makim birchas kehanim. So much, it's so b'makim birchas kehanim. In fact, the Lavush says if you want to do b'meitiv chalam, get a chalam ra has v'shalom and there's no birchas kehanim because we're in Chutz Laretz. He said, say it during the lekain of lekaviseinu. That's b'makim birchas kehanim. It's a pella. According to the Mishnah the only time you ever allowed to say it is shaloi b'shas hatfila. Otherwise, you're going to be over on the iser of kaisa v'rachos bnei Yisrael atem v'leizarim. Every time a shatz gets up there, you should give a clap on the dish. Magnish teruf. According to this Mishnabura, according to this Bir Halacha. That is riddle one. And again, it's good because every day we say it, 365 days a year, we say, so L'chaira, it would be, uh, you could ask this riddle any day of the year. That's our first riddle. Our second riddle is, Right, the the the, the Mayim is boydik. Terrible things happen to the Saita. The Gemara Zvachim says that as Mandiya Machlaikis that any Baal Karbin could have a a, a Machshavas Pigel B'Shas Hakrava, and if he does, the the the, uh, the carbon is Nifsal. L'chayra, very simple thing. Every Isha Shanitma, they should tell her, you know, you worried about the Mayim? Nothing to worry about. You have to have bring a Minchas Kinois, the Mincha of Asaita, and the Isha is the Balas HaMincha, she brings it. Let her have Kavana, that it should be a Machsheves Pigel, and it'll be Mavatal the Mincha, and it's Mavur in the Gemara, that you don't have, uh, the Mayim is not Baidik if there's no carbon. So she's able to, every, 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 uh, Saita should be able to escape this, this, uh, the, the fear of that the Mayim will be by deep. I tell her, have a machshavas pigel, b'shasta krava. That is our second riddle, and this riddle can only be asked really parshish, uh, nasai. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh zero two three seven two zero three oh four. Let's go to our wonderful program.
Joining us is Yaakov Shweki, the world-famous singer. He's a Talmud of Yeshiva of Brooklyn, of Chafetz Chaim. Some of the songs he's written are Rachem, the Vahisha'am that everybody sings by the Seder, Shema Yisrael, and Meshka Chesh Yerushalayim that you hear by most Chuppis. Welcome, Rabbi Yaakov. Welcome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. It's great to be here. So, Rabbi Yaakov, what would you say to aspiring singers... How do they? How how do you? Um, how do they balance personal life and and being that so much of singing is done on nights or at other inconvenient times? How do they balance family life with a difficult profession? You know, I was lucky also to marry a good wife. That's number one. Number two is um, I would really, really you you mentioned the yeshivas I went to. Um, one thing that I that I really was able to do is have a relationship with a mentor and actually ask him his advice. And one of his points was at the time, is you should not go into it unless you are married and stable in your married life. And that's when you'll be able to have a great communication and a great home that you can come back to. And actually, uh, you know, and I actually went on to ask him advice on every step of the way. And it turned down a lot of jobs. Uh, for the first 10 years, I didn't go away. Maybe I went away for one weekend, one Shabbos, but I also asked uh, many rabbis what to do. And, uh, you know, he was the one that I really had a relationship with. And if you were able to ask advice and able to listen to it, um, I think that she'll be. And you really have the priorities set straight. Um, it's a long-term thing. It's not a short-term, uh, you know. And I, I felt that, you know, the advice of also watching the kids grow up and not, not going away for weekends. And no matter, I, I know my manager at the time, you know, was pressing me for so many jobs, you know, going away out of the country and missing, missing out. But uh, I remember Shmuel Kamenetsky also told me, he said, Yaakov, you know, the money will come. He said, but watching your kids grow up, you don't want to miss that time. That time will not come back. And it's those things that I really, really felt that really shaped, you know, uh, those things. It wasn't easy. There were a lot of things that came up. But at the end of the day, I feel looking back now that it was the greatest advice and it's something that to this day, you know, I thank them for. You know, Bianca, when you think about it, and I'm not honestly a music aficionado, so I wouldn't know this to be true, but at least from a lot of the Jewish singers that I know, you certainly don't see the type of lifestyles that we attribute to the non-Jewish singers, you know, the secular sort of rock stars, etc. And for the most part, it seems that the yeshiva education has fundamentally given them a different outlook on life and a different set of behavior. Would you agree with that? 100% agree with that. Uh, I actually had relationship with business people that have been in the non-Jewish music industry on many different levels. And they also were surprised just as, as you're, you're talking about and how we're able to lead. Because when you connect yourself to the Torah and you connect yourself to a spiritual aspect of everything you're doing in life, it actually keeps you so grounded and you realize that, first of all, the gift is not yours. It's on loan to you to really, really help the world and make people feel good and sing for the downtrodden and helping people, you know, raise people's spirits. And you realize that it's a very, very spiritual thing, music. And it's not really the business, quote, unquote, that they look at it as how to make a hit song. It's not about that. It's about raising, you know, the spirits of people and actually being very spiritual. So when you do that, you're definitely connected on a whole different level and you don't you don't look at it how they look at it as just quote unquote entertainment. It's not what it's about. How do you deal with the celebrity factor? You know, social media created, promotes, you know, Jewish celebrity factor it didn't exist. How does it affect you and how does it affect your family? So as far as social media, which is very big today, um, and 
I remember my manager telling me years ago, Yaakov, you have to have social media because otherwise, and I told him like this, I told him, I don't feel that I have to have it, you know, be connected to it. I don't look how many, I don't even know how many followers they are. I don't look how many hits YouTube has. I don't, I don't feel you can be real with music, you know, having yourself being connected to it. So I told them we have to hire somebody and let that somebody do whatever they think will inspire. Obviously, we don't want to, we don't want to, uh, you know, tell them what we're eating for breakfast and what we're doing at dinner time. But any business related, you know, uh, also inspiration for people through music you can do. So that's what I did. And I feel that that's, I feel that that's the most real way you can go about it because you don't create songs for hits. You don't create songs to get more followers. That's not something I feel is real in the uh, in the real music sense. And um, and they're doing that. They're doing that. Every now and then I get uh, requests, you know, send me this, send me this, send me that. But um, I feel that the celebrity status, quote unquote, and those things are uh, really take you away from the. Uh, you know, the mission of what music really should bring out people. And what, what is the mission? What message are you trying to give across? Well, part, there's a few messages. I, I remember when I got married, um, I asked my wife point blank, you know, what school did you come from? And she said, I went to a, you know, a co-ed, you know, Jewish school. And I asked her, what, what kind of Jewish music did they play? She said, well, I'm Jewish music, you know, maybe one or two songs. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, and that's about it. And people, the kids really listen to a lot of American music. And I said, you know, one of my missions are, I told her that back then, it was 23, 24 years ago, and everybody knows we are a miracle. Everybody knows crying no more Yerushalayim. Everybody knows I can be anything I want to be. And I want to do that. And she was, she was at the time, she was like, I didn't say tell the names of the songs, but I told her, you know, songs that they can connect to, songs that they could feel good about, also English songs. And at the time, and then we went back. I went back seven, eight years after my fourth, fifth album. And, and since then, I'll go around to a lot of schools. And that, that was the mission. And schools today are being taught in the curriculum. I know in the, in the, in the Syrian modern schools, they, they learn We Are a Miracle. They learn Cry No More. They learn Shema Yisrael, that story that you mentioned at the top. And it's those, that, that mission to really connect the children and the youth to Jewish music with inspirational, spiritual messages that can really uplift them. Not only, and obviously I, I do a diverse amount of music. I don't only do English songs. We do the Vahisha Amda, like you mentioned at the top. We do Imash Kachach Yerushalayim. We do wedding songs. We do so many different types of styles. Because I grew up, my father is Sephardic, and my mother is Ashkenazi. I'm able to sing in Yiddish, and then I'm able to sing in English and in Hebrew. So and I was born in Israel. So I have that mix. I thank God I was able to. My mission was really to put my stamp on a diverse amount of music that can hit every Jewish community around the world. And that's what's been going on, really. That's part of the mission. And I'll tell you, I get stories every single day from school, from, uh, from different places around the world, how they really get uplifted by the music and its messages and its stories, especially today where we know what music, you know, uh, is out there and what social media promotes, how important it is, how vital it is to put out messages and inspiration of songs of music that people can really, you know, get uplifted and connect themselves to, a, you know, to a different, uh, you know, more spiritual way. I, I did a, a concert in Paris recently. I'm actually going back there in two weeks. I'll just give you an example where, you know, they had actually laptops, uh, uh, iPads on each. It was for totally, it was for Jewish people, but people that were not religious. And the iPads had lists of mitzvahs. I mean, this was never done on that high level before. 
of different commandments that they could take if they want to take upon themselves different commandments, even something on Shabbat or something with tefillin or something. If they get inspired by the music, they should hit the mitzvah. I, I would say uh, he told me about 750 or so mitzvahs were taken on that night from that concert. And that's just, that's just one example of a tangible you know, uh, a tangible night that the music has uplifted people so much that we're not religious, that we're able to take upon themselves some sort of connection through the inspiration of music. But that's just one example, and there are many others. In the 20 years you've been in Jewish music, how has it changed? Are you happy with the way it's going? You know what? I, I can't say there are, there are advantages and disadvantages, meaning I, I remember, you know, back in the day when I started, when there's physical albums coming out and you're actually getting a physical booklet and you have to look at the lyrics and you're able to touch it tangibly and able to, uh, you know, connect to it in a different way without, you know, uh, three different advertisements through the song, you know, and taking you, your phone, taking you to another, you know, newsworthy story that just popped up as you heard the song. It's definitely different. It's definitely different. It's that focus. Uh, you see the, uh, you know, the attention people pay towards even a, you know, they tell me now not to do a more than a three and a half, four minute song when we can do songs of six minutes, you know, that's telling a story. You know, nowadays it's much harder to uh, to gauge that attention and to actually get that focus, you know, so that's a disadvantage. The advantage is that, you know, you put out a song and right away people from, you know, Argentina world you know, get it in one day and they're able to. So, so those, those are the two elements that you see, you know, one advantage that you're able to really, you know, hit people so fast around the world. And secondly, just, um, you know, the, the focus and the attention span. What do you think of the new style music with, you know, words as opposed to psukim or some of the new pop music that's coming out of Israel from a pop music? What do you think of those two styles? I think there are people that do it very well. Um, there are there are really a need, you know, to do it. I started it years ago with the Kolot album, the Divan Mizrach album, in our in our genre, and it went very well. I mean, at the time, I remember my producer was, you know, we were questioning it back and forth. Should we go that route? Because you don't want to continue just doing sukkim and and you know you want to widen the scope. There are people that are tremendous. A lot of people that are nuts you know, connected to religion that want poetry. They want different, you know, ways to, you know, to express what, what King David said in the Tehillim. We want to be able to, you know, express in our own words and connect it to, a, you know, and extend it. And I feel, I feel it went very well on my end, and also other people are doing it, you know, very well. And uh, I love it. If it's done well and it's done in a way that, that, that really can connect and the song is great, I mean, I'm loving that. Would you push young aspiring singers to go into the, to go into singing careers? That's a good question. That's a good question. I, I would push. Well, them. you know, Yaakov, after seven questions, I'm glad I got one right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's uh, all your questions are valid, but this question I get a lot of times. Also, I, I get from it's because the reason I say it's a good question because um, everybody would each individual would get a different answer. Because the person asking has to be able to bring something new to the table of music. There's so many things that have happened, especially even in the last 25 years that I've been in it. Um, if you're just going to repeat, if you want to become a wedding singer and just sing whatever's out there, that's something else. If you want to become a 
singer that does shows and does and you and you want to bring you have to bring something new to the table and not and it has to be you the key is to be yourself to be the individual and not yes you can take inspiration from different singers but are you able to take the inspiration and then when you get on stage or you get onto the recording studio or you get into the the material aspect of your songs can you put a stamp of individuality of your own that can, if you're talented, if you're that talented, then I would tell you that you cannot forego the gift that God gave you. And that's what my Rebbe told me 25 years ago when I asked him, can I go into singing? Should I go into singing? He says, what do you mean? I feel you have a gift. How could you waste a gift? So if you have a gift that really is something that can be unique and individual, then, um, then yes, for sure. Do you have red lines, venues you own performance? I wouldn't call it red lines. There are venues that are a lot more complicated with sound. Um, I get calls every day to do certain venues, and I won't, I won't publicly say it, but uh, there are venues that are so complicated sound-wise to get right that uh, if you don't have two days before to have engineers really scope the place and, and, uh, and do it right, you know, do it, do it right in terms of sound, then um, I decline the job. What about mixed seating? Mixed seating, I do for sure. It's fa- we call it mixed seating, call it family seating. Um, you know, there are there are venues that and places that um, you know, if it's possible to do, you know, separate seating in terms of in terms of uh, Israel and really, really, you know, uh, crowds that are asking to do separate seating. Of course, we do that. But if there are venues, you know, I did ask rabbis, of course, years ago, and they told me the same thing, that there are, you should do family seating. And if there is a separate seating factor, you know, that you can add, you can add a separate seating for people that rent, then you have to fulfill their desires. So we try to, and we try to uh, accommodate. Okay, here's my, here's my last question, Yaakov. Who is Yaakov Shweki's favorite singer? That's a good question also. Okay, that's the second great question. I don't know. I grew, I grew up with a diverse amount of singers, uh, the truth. And I'm giving you the truth here. I grew up with, you know, Bell's music in my house and Diaspora Yeshiva Band and Shlomo Kalba and Mordechai Ben David. And the truth is, one of my favorites growing up was Mordechai Ben David um, because I listened to a lot of his stuff growing up in Yeshiva and I uh, actually got to perform with him for many years and became close to him. Um, so he was one of my favorites. But I, 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 uh, I have to say, I put out an album, Those Were the Days, because I felt so good about if you look it up, you know, every single medley of those albums, because I was walking with my son home from shore after prayers, and I asked him, let's sing some old music, Shlomo Kalbach and Zvekis, and, and he asked, and he looked at me with, with his eyes, he had no idea who they were. So eight years ago, I decided to do an album called Those Were the Days. I did a double album, and then I did, after, subsequently after that, we did a lot more. We just came out with an Elevate album. Uh, just a week ago uh, with a lot of different medleys of different because I wanted to promote Jewish music and I gave them their name on it you know to for the youth people like my son to understand who they were so I grew up with everybody I promote everybody and I feel that uh, there's a lot of different people in the Jewish music industry that have put a stamp on it and they deserve the honor and they deserve the credit and I uh, I love doing it could you share a story you've been through all around the world? You've seen so many communities. You've, and you're, you, this is in a field of emotion, of hergish, of, of vacas. Is there a particular occurrence, a story that you could share with us that sticks out in your mind? There's many. I mean, I, I'm thinking about which one to, to share with you. Um, I'll never forget, you know, we mentioned the Shema story. The Shema Yisrael song 
was a story about a rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer Silva, going after the war and reminding children that really went into monasteries, um, not not knowing their Jewish tradition. And then afterwards, the rabbi going in and trying to remind these children in the monastery of where they come from. And he was talking to them about the commandments, about the mitzvahs, about Shabbos, about everything we do. And all he got is blank stares. And after an hour or so, the guard was telling the rabbi he has to leave. And he just looked up to Shemayim. He looked up to the sky and he just was crying as he said, Shema Yisrael, which we say every single day. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And little by little, child by child, being reminded, even as we know, a mother, when she holds her child, even as a baby, says these words. And they remembered these words just by the rabbi repeating Shema. And I made a song out of it. And I was hired in Santiago, Chile, um, to, to sing, to do a concert on the York site of Kristallnacht. And uh, I'll never forget it because I said this story over. It was the yard site. It was a very emotional night. And during the intermission, after I sang it in the first half of the show, um, a lady came into the back and she started to cry. An older, older lady said, I'm sorry to make you cry. She said, don't be sorry. She rolled up her sleeves and she showed me her numbers. And she said, um, you know, I lost everything. I lost everything. And even so, and even after I survived the Holocaust, I lost the relationship with the Creator. I said, but this song really brings me back, really brings me back to all the children and all the, the, the my sisters, my siblings. And uh, she says, I know children that were saved through the story also, including my own family. And she started to cry, and she, she basically hinted to me that she, through that night, through that story, and through the Shema words, and through the song, she was able to cultivate back a little bit in her heart and in her soul a relationship with the Creator that she wasn't able to have because of all her suffering. And I looked at I looked at her and I started to cry with her. And I said, you know, I said, I'm humbled to hear your story. And I can never judge your pain. I said, I just wanted to, uh, in fact that I'm a shliach, I'm a messenger, to be able to just inspire through not so much, you know, anything I did, anything special. I said, the fact that I'm able to you know, uplift the crowd, and you, in turn, it was worth everything to come, just hear your story, you know, and then I got together with her afterwards in a restaurant, we sat, and we talked about everything, but so many stories like that, out of nowhere, being in the middle of nowhere around the world, and just hearing stories of people that got inspired through through very inspirational songs, um, and really have changed, they changed my life in terms of Realizing what my Rebbe told me 24 years ago, Yaakov, you have a gift and it's not yours. And understand to never be, never take it for granted and never be haughty about it. And never think that you're anything more special than anybody else. It's a gift on loan from God. And understand that you have a mission. Yes, you have to make a parnasa. Yes, you have to make a living. But these stories will tell you that music is much more than just a business. And that, uh, that's just one example. Habyakov, thank you very much. That was fabulous. That was beautiful. Very moving. Thank, thank you, Dean Touch. It was, uh, it was an honor and a pleasure. Cool. Joining us from Muncie, New York, is Lippa Schmelzer, who, this is my title, Jewish Music's Most Innovative and Creative Performer. Welcome, Lippa. How are you, David? Lippa, it's a question for you. You're obviously, you know, incredibly talented, very creative, where does that come from? Like, is that just something that it's sort of just bursts out of you? Does it take any effort to be so creative? Like, when you want to create, like, what's the process? So it's two questions. So the first question, where does it come from? I think it's a combination of things. I think some, some of it is genetic. Um, 
a combination between my mother's family and my father's family. I think there were uh, Balakrilla and my father's family, but more in my mother's family. My grandmother was always singing, and um, we have a lot of uh, creativity in the genes all around. But to the extent where I uh, where I reach to be, I think it comes from um, a tough childhood. It comes from fighting for really making it and proving a point, to the point that if I would read the books that I read today, and maybe I wouldn't even fight so much for it. I would just, uh, you know, sometimes it's meant to be not to read even self-help books till later in life. Because imagine if a 19-year-old um, kid would, would read that uh, it's okay to be where you are and just, uh, just accept everything for the way it is, you would never grow. So I think that uh, drive that constantly pushed me, I was also coming from a very insular community, so bursting out of it and showing everybody that I'm not uh, the so-called tuna bagel or whatever you want to call it, is um, all of this together pushed me to where I am today. Now, the process of uh, how the process is, that's like asking, I mean, you know, you're doing, uh, you're doing quite well in real estate. You know how it is. How is it to build a house? It depends what house. Uh, what the property looks like, is it five families, is it a hundred families, is it a Florida, is it a New York, is it a building, is it a house? So the process is, there's a hundred of processes the way I produce uh, my, my music. Lippa, you, you talk about openly, somewhat, I mean, I think somewhat openly about, like you've talked about a hard childhood, you talk about fighting, you've struggled. How have these struggles shaped who you are today? So it shaped the... Uh, it saved me in many ways. I just read a book about that the brain is like, I don't know if I say it exactly right, if I'm not quoting the author. It's, uh, it's like a big uh, picture where even if we have the, the good or the bad that we have, it has like tiny holes in it. It means that if you, have, you think you're already all good, it will keep on creeping in from the outside stuff. It will keep on leaking out the good stuff. In other words, uh, it shaped me to be the way I am today and through a lot of self-growth and self-work um, to grow a lot. But also uh, there's things that will be with me for the rest of my life. I just uh, identified very much with the reading of somebody about, uh, you know, how it's a social media world. So you want to be, you want to say, I'm not going to look how many people watch this interview. I'm not going to check if people uh, um, looked at my status or not. But the reality is, I do want to check. Maybe one glimpse. Okay, so maybe last week I checked five times, and this week only two times, and that's major progress. I'm giving this as an example that people can relate, but really what I mean to say is there are certain things from our childhood that are always going to be there. Um, I don't know if always, but it takes years and years to grow and to get out of it, and you can walk around being this... Uh, a beautiful person, this, this uh, superstar, but then, uh, then inside you have, you have a lot of struggles. You have a lot of struggles that keeps on hunting you down, and, and you need to know that a thought is not my actions, and uh, that I am not my thought. So um, I do what I need to do, and I grow as much as I can grow, and, 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 and to know that the, to take out the most great parts that we learn from, and to try as much as we can to let go the parts that are that's hunting us down, but to really know that just like we trained for language, we never really made a proper introduction. Now we're going to train a kid to speak English or Yiddish. It's just something that grows on us. At the same time, there are different things that grow on us and, uh, and stays with us for the rest of our life. Tell us about many of us love your music, 
and you've had people in the community who have really given you a run for the money. Talk about talk about some of those people. Like when I don't mean by name, I mean what 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 is their you know what has been their antipathy to you been? Um, why did they dislike it? I mean, t- to me, it's creative, it's beautiful, it's musical. Why does your music create in some some type of a commotion? So I think that uh, people are afraid of new ideas. People are afraid of the new. So uh, if we go back in the olden days, I say there is a clip on the internet where you can see mixed dancing in Munkach. I'm sure you, you know this. And they think they are your days. Uh, exactly. So now you would think this is the most holy of the holiest songs. And I'm sure they danced with this by the fish back then also. But this didn't, it, when the people went for mixed dancing, they didn't put in a DJ beat or, because the DJ didn't exist. So the song, what was then known as romantic songs, could have been it could be today's Shalashidas Rabbi Dravan song, because because the song is what you make it be, what you make it become. I, this is probably a, not my own question. It's probably a philosophical question and, and laid out in different words. What I'm going to say, but I often think about Kol Nidre. So the song Kol Nidre. When you sing this song, the listener now gets goosebumps because it, it brings them to him tipper. Now, is it the tune, the chord, the song, the melody, the lyrics that brings them to this moment? Or is it the fact that they sing it every year in the same setting when they know now is in Kippur and people dressed in white and we're going into this high holy moment and therefore when you sing the song it brings you to that place so that's a philosophical question so a song could, could be I remember I did a, a track with Mad Dog the whole album with DJ music and he said to me that for him this brings him closer to God and even me like a, with a cynical thought I was smiling at it what are you telling me that it brings you closer to God they say it's a DJ beat it can be but then it grew on me that it could be. It could possibly be that for him, this is elevating him and elevating his soul. But so some people, they are afraid of things that goes out of their own box. And it makes them, it makes them think that who knows uh, where this is going to go. And, and, and this beat makes them think of certain things. But you know, trees on the street could also make someone think certain ways and bring to someone ideas. And going on vacation could, could mean for different people different things. So I think, of course, there's personally nothing wrong. But I understand today with more maturity that some people are very narrow in their own mind. And for them, this is called going out of a certain box. And that can trigger by them uh, a fear that who knows where this is going to go. Okay. What do you think of um, the Gaisha music today? How damaging is it for our youth to listen to, I'm no expert on Gaisha music, but the Kanye West, the hip-hop, the rap, like, and if it is damaging, how important is it, the, you know, the religious music that we're replacing it with? So I think, for me, it boils down to the lyrics, and it ties into the previous question and the answer. I think it boils down to the lyrics depends the messages that come across through the music. It's like when you leave your car, um, the music on, uh, maybe today's cars are more sophisticated, it has a setting that goes back to a certain medium, but at least what it used to be, let's say you leave your car, you, you come home late at night and the music is blasting, you close the car, and tomorrow morning you put it on, and right away you feel like your ears are busting, this is so loud. And at night, it wasn't so loud. What happened? You were in a different time frame, a different time zone. This was 12 midnight, and this is now 9 o'clock in the morning with a fresh coffee. 
So uh, I think it all depends on the setting. We, we, if we see on YouTube a certain party and we think we, we look, wow, these teenagers are dancing like crazy. It depends on the setting. It depends. This was in the middle of a wedding. You're watching it on a clip at home. So it all depends. Now, I can't go in uh, uh, like track for track by, by different people to say that everything is good or bad. But I could say that it, it boils down to the lyrics and the words and the messages of the song for the most part, for me. I think it boils down to the words. If it's profanity or it educates people about uh, being angry, then you know the aftertones. We see what's going on in the world. But if it's messages about uh, purity, messages about love, messages about about positivity, messages about, uh, you know, good friendships, about healing, about bringing the world to a better place. Uh, hello. These rappers, this is about happiness and purity. I mean, you have such a tzad's. No, I'm saying that's what I'm, that's what I'm telling you. That if you're asking me what, what would be the right change, I think that, that uh, the messages should be pure. It's not about the beat. It's not about uh, what beat they are using. It's a matter of what messages they're giving off. That's, what I, that's exactly what I'm saying. If you ask me, tell us I something, think, but tell us some, a story of where you felt that, or something like amazing where you said, wow, I didn't realize what an impact I was having until... So so and so happened. What would that be? Uh, that's a tough question because you know I I always like to use the 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 mushal. Some people use an onion example. I like to use the rimoin, the pomegranate, because the pomegranate is more. I don't know. The onion is giving you tears in the eyes. But uh, but uh, you know the pomegranate when you thought you just finished, you take off another layer and you see more of it. But I think uh, in in life, every two years. Is uh, I'm giving an example of the two years. It could be every year, it could be every second month, um, every few months. I can feel a different milestone how I touch people's hands. I just made an album about Bavli, but it's it's a Bavli. It's a it's Yiddish songs from the Gemara stories, and I got so much feedback. People told me that they couldn't open a Gemara to learn. They had the trauma, and now that it's in song, it makes them want to learn more. Different Gemaras. Then I had a guy who was a soifer, who was writing the Sipatoira from Williamsburg. And he reached out to me with certain comments. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm writing, uh, I'm, I'm here in the office with a few software. And we listened to the music and I found a few little uh, things that we need maybe to correct. We didn't learn the Gemara perfect. And it really, it, it, it made me feel good because for people like this to listen to my Gemara and to, and to find little mistakes, it's actually, I don't look at it as a criticism. I looked at it as a compliment. So I think the world is, a little, is opening up to a certain better place to accept. And now, I'm, I'm, as I'm singing a lot in the Hamish community, I had like two, three years um, off. I think I even met you then, back then. You took a piece of art from me, if you remember. And um, now I'm much more busy singing. And, and, and this, this in itself gives me uh, a great, uh, like you asked me, what's a milestone? This is a great milestone to see that the Truth comes out. If you do your, if you try to do the right thing, maybe it will not uh, right away be accepted. But down the road, if you really stick to it and you stick to your truth, then uh, people will realize and the true messages will come out. And that in itself is a great, uh, is a great. Tell us, look, tell us if you're comfortable about your journey. You, you grew up in Skver. Right, you were. I imagine English is not your first language. I imagine reading and writing English probably wasn't taught all that. You know, given all that much importance in Sphere. And then you went to Columbia, Columbia University, one of the, you know, seven sisters, one of the Ivy Leagues. Must have been a shock for you, and I bet it was a shock for them, too. Tell us a little bit about this journey and did music impact it? 
so uh, yeah, I just I just met somebody that I had met in Colombia. There was a big Jewish community also, their mother not enough. And they looked at me because people don't know. Now I'm dressing in black and white and they weren't sure where I am in life. I said, I made a lot of changes, but I will never regret taking my degree. For me, it was a big culture shock. It, uh, that in itself deserves the whole podcast, how I even made it in and how I took me from a GED to, to SUNY Rockland. And the, the real talk, what pushed me for education is because I wanted to be, become a therapist. I went uh, myself a lot for therapy, and I figured there's a whole community I, I can help, and there's only going to be more of it. And then as I uh, wake my way up there, I realized, I don't know if it's for me, maybe one day I'm still going to do it, but for now I want to stick to creativity, so I changed it to creative writing and poetry, and then I changed it to visual art, which I'm still figuring out what my main art should be, or maybe I don't have to figure out, I should just uh, do my thing, just like in music, I should let it flow. But um, that was my ending over there in school. But it, it was a very interesting experience. So first of all, from, I'm going to just touch on a few aspects because we can touch on many, but I'm just going to touch on a few of them. So first of all, English was a big barrier. I remember in my immediate, I think it's a, it's a class lower than the, the first class, and that was already after SUNY. I had to take a class to perfect my English at the Columbia level, and there was an essay we had to read, and then we had to come up what spirituality we take heart from between the lines. So I saw a line over there running from temple to temple, and I made a whole essay about it. It talks about a temple from many years ago, and um, somebody's running from temple to temple. I don't remember the whole essay. I just remember I was being, I was blushing in front of the whole class because the temple to temple she was talking about is the on the on the head, on the, from the left to right, above the eyes. It's a different type of temple, it's spelled differently on on the on the on the skull from temple to temple, but I, uh, I, I thought she's saying from temple to temple like a, like a shul, like a synagogue. You didn't, so, know, it means uh, the, you didn't know it means like the sort of the, the forehead, and from one side of the forehead to the other. Exactly. So that was one, uh, one little uh, embarrassment I had. I, won, I once wrote, like when I, when I wanted to get into the art department, you had to go through a certain filter, because they don't want you to take art thinking that you're going to become uh, rich, uh, rich from it, because there's many, there are many starving artists out there. So uh, they want to they want to have a conversation with you. Why do you want to do it, and why do you want to change your major? So I had to email the professor. So talk to tax was already in fact. So uh, I, I used talk to tax, and I wrote, dear professor, um, my name is so and so. I want to get into the art department, and when can we talk? Blah blah blah. So she wrote back to me, um, like uh, that we can have set up a meeting. It looks like I'm going to get in, and then she wrote, by the way, I hope you, I hope you're not. I hope you really don't think I'm dead. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I went to my inbox to check what I sent, and I wrote, dead professor, because I have an accent. So I talked to text when I said, dear professor, somehow it came out, dead professor. <laughs> Can you imagine how embarrassed I was? But uh, I had little, I'll tell you, there was another teacher. I used to email um, professors, and in the beginning, I would just go like, you know how it is? Sometimes you get a text from somebody with no hi, no goodbye. I would just come in. What time tomorrow? And I had a teacher actually coming to me. I know you're not uh, you're coming from a different background. You don't know, but every every email you should start with dear professor and comma and the whole thing, simple things that I didn't know. And uh, I was lucky enough that people helped me out. 
and uh, she was a German professor, the one who helped me out, and told me, you have to write, when you write back, always polite, and always sign your name, like little things I didn't know. So that was a kind of cute little embarrassment I had, and, but then I have to say, I had professors who had such an accent, much worse than me. They were teaching science, you know, they bring in the fancy professors from South Africa, and who knows where, just to bring the world together, and... And then I, I realized, you know, I don't have to be embarrassed with my accents. They all have accents, and the world is a, is a different world. I joke around sometimes with very orthodox Hasidim when they laugh about the liberals. I said that if not for the liberals, I don't know if we can wear um, the hair of an animal on our head called the slimo and uh, be accepted. So the liberalism, you know, the, it has both sides of the coin. So the fact that they bring in professors from all over the world, and English is not their first language, then it gives me uh, strength that it's okay if I don't speak perfect, you know? Do you see that you're, you started off as a Sidi Shabaka, you sort of went a little bit on a journey, and now you're back, you know, flipping and forth, performing, etc. Do you see in your, sort of, your journey something that can inspire young people who are struggling? A thousand percent. A thousand percent. But we have to know the ways of how to do it. I don't, I don't want to be a big shot. I'm not even sure if it's true what I'm going to say. But just hypothetically, I said to someone, if I were opening a yeshiva, I may, I may have very well had uh, like two, three thousand uh, bochrem. And the reason is because I think I have a niche of how to talk to teenagers. And the reason I would never do it is because I can get too emotionally involved. And if there will be some boys who would have uh, backgrounds with crazy struggles, I may get more involved, I would leave the art, whatever. It's more complicated than, than, than the one sentence thing, but it's not for me in one way. It's not for me to do this. But hypothetically, I would say, I think I have the vision of what it takes. And it's, it's, it's not so, I asked somebody who's in the stock market and successful, now, now it's a crazy market, but usually successful. And I asked them why some people make it and some don't. He said, people try too hard. And people, sometimes you just have to take it easy. You know, you go like, like we're in Boston. The blue chip sucks, yada, yada. The same thing is with, I think, education. I think we, what we need to give more is space. We need to let people grow to what they can grow into. And the pressure never works. If people sometimes they want to make fun of it. And they say, oh, today everything is about love and compassion. It's a new world. It's not a new world. It never really works. The fact that you see... Uh, thousands of people in the same way. It doesn't mean it works. You don't know if they're on medication, antidepressants. You don't know if they, you know, how much they suffer from anxiety. The real working, I think, is for every human being to get their own space and let them figure it out. You give them a little bit of direction, but you don't push too much. There was somebody, a colleague of mine, who has a small fever. I'm not going to say a name. Maybe people will have who it is. And he calls me up one day and says to me, there's a book who doesn't yet fit in, in his yeshiva, means he's still within the realm of the system, but he's thrown out of yeshiva because he, he was caught with a smartphone, and he's a big Leaper fan, and he asked me if I should talk to him that he should give up the smartphone, so he should go back to yeshiva, and a year and a half from now, he'll have the smartphone. And it was hard for me, because on the one hand, I'm getting this compliment that I can make an impact, and he's going to go back to yeshiva, and maybe it's even beneficial for him. But on the other hand, it's against my belief. I'm not going to go and say, if he has a smartphone for the last eight months, there's no way I can just tell him to throw away the smartphone. There's just no way. And I said to my the colleague of mine, I said, look, I love you dearly, and I want to help, but I don't think I can tell this book to throw away the smartphone. If I'll tell it to him, you know, I, I, he's going to think I'm a hypocrite, and he's, gonna, he's not going to listen to me. That's not the point. Can I just ask you, Lippa, but can I just comment on that? You know, there's different stages of life. 
would you give your five-year-old a smartphone? No. Probably not. So a teenager going to yeshiva may be different than a 40-year-old guy who's, you know, going through life and selling, you know. So is it possible that at 18 or 17 he shouldn't have a, te- he shouldn't have a smartphone and you should have a smartphone? Can we explain, you know, different times it's in life? Possible. Like, it's possible, and that's why maybe for me it's a trigger. That's why I said it's possible, but I'm not the right person to, if I want to have an impact on him in the future, I don't want to come across like a policeman to tell him, you know, to, if he's already been out of Yeshiva for a few months and he has a smartphone, I don't see him living a truthful life by going back to Yeshiva throwing away a smartphone. Not, you know, as a 17-year-old boy. Um, that's, that's, that's just my opinion. That's just, well, and maybe I'm, I'm not perfect. The world is not perfect, but I'm not going to just uh, sugarcoat it and say, hey, you're right. You know, maybe I should have just, uh, talked to him and throw away the smartphone. I think I don't advocate for smartphones. And if you would ask me advice beforehand, should I get a smartphone, but I'm maybe getting out of receive and get into trouble, I would tell him to wait. But if, if it's already after a few months on the street and he has a smartphone, I don't think the right way would just tell him, just throw it away for a year, just go back to Yeshiva. I don't think it's going to work. Lippa, who had a real impact on you? When you say, here's one person who had an impact on my life, who would that be? Wow, it's not one person. To be truthful, it's not one person. It's many aspects. And, yeah, even now I'm trying to think and, and boil it down. To, it's like I take from so many um, resources. And uh, I'm in a place today where I take out from, you know, from our own heritage and the Torah. And I also take out from reading good, good books. I just talked to somebody today that when you drink a, a cup of vodka in the morning, you know that you, your day would be ruined. So why wouldn't it be the same thing if somebody wakes up, for somebody is just davening, for somebody that has to learn, for somebody that also has to read a certain um, self-help book, a self-growth book to put their mind, to remind their mind, you know, what life is about and, 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 and to, uh, to stick to a certain path. So I'm trying lately to start my day with a little read before I check my phone about uh, politics and even Hasidic politics, just to, to, to get myself grounded. So it's very hard for me to say that it's one, one person. Pick two or three people. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's so difficult for me to, to, to uh, so difficult for me to, it depends what season of my life, uh, what year. Um, it's very hard for me. I wish I can tell you one name, but at this moment it's very hard for me to tell you a name. Okay. Tell us, uh, tell us a musician or a singer who had a real impact on you. I'll tell you. So I'll, I'll go. Maybe it's too, maybe it's basic, but just like I was truthful with one point earlier, I'll be truthful here. I grew up a lot in MBD and three, but I'm also talking later in life, growing up on them. So Matcha is the, as far as the way he articulates the songs and the way he sings, and also you know, which is Eilach Tait. There's a lot of things that I learned from him. But Fried, I learned from a different aspect, like in the way I'm jealous. I said it also in public already once about the way he eats. Uh, he exercises in Chabad is a whole different world so they have their chitas and the tanya and rigid and their own things but he does it like re- religiously and in that sense I think uh, he's a role model that I'm not yet able to copy as far as being uh, in my own exercise every day and then watch what I eat and all that but these, these are role models in, um, in music and then of course from, from, from living the world I I, I learned from, from many, many, many people, between uh, Dr. Tversky, to uh, Rabbi Wilder Jacobson, to uh, Eckhart Tolle, to do uh, all good books, you know. What about, the, how much of an impact did this Rebbe have on your life? So it's very, it's, <laughs> it's a tricky question because um, 
I know where you're going, but here's like a little joke, which is not a joke. Really, he probably has the most impact, but not in a way that I chose um, as an impact, but just like I said about language. As childhood, um, there are things in the mind that we don't even know, which isn't great. Uh, last night I had a chuppah, and in the Tana, they have a room of uh, forum. So I wanted to find something to, to take, and I quickly text my brother if he has a vod. It's like only a day after Shuras and to, to get into the zone of the Pasha. And I just took out the Pesach Shloyim, and I started skimming through it. And then two minutes later, I got whatever I want to say, and I made a song on the spot by the Chuppah. So there were two people from the catering, they come from Skre. And I said to them, in a compliment way, I said, you should know that the fact that I can just open the Pesach Shloyim and skim it through three pages in two minutes and get the gist of what he's saying and make a song about it on the spot, it comes from my childhood, it comes from Skre, from hacking in my cup to learn Hasidus. And so there's certain things as we mature to, to give the credit, the fact that I know Ivra, that I know that so well, the fluently, and all it helps in all my songs, and for my career, the fact to learn the Gemara. Now, it doesn't mean I agree with the way the staple is led. It's not me to agree or not to agree, uh, but I'm just saying in a jokey way that the other people I mentioned are, pe- uh, are people in my life that I chose um, certain things to learn from them. But from a psyche perspective, uh, from from uh, Jung's perspective, and all the great uh, scholars, we're like programmed uh, since we're little children, so he probably has a huge impact on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Lippa, thank you very much for your time. I'll leave a I want to just say one thing before you leave, and this is a great impact I was thinking about telling you, that for me, it's also a big learning experience that a guy like you is going is to know how to do very well and successful. Can she help you further? And you do the things that you enjoy and you make your podcast with musicians. First of all, it's a physics for me, but also for people to learn, the more orthodox we are, the more also there's a sense of shadow and shame like saying, I'm not going to make a podcast. I'm like this, uh, I'm like this, the big philanthropist in Monroe. I'm, my name is on the show. How can I make a, so this is also, you should know that an impact is not only what you share on the podcast, but it's a learning experience that I can share Philanthropist David Lichtenstein is interviewing me about the music. That in itself is a message for people. Well, thank you very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Joining us from Lakewood, New Jersey, or Toms River, New Jersey, is Shulam Lemmer. He's an international singing star. He's also a Belza Chassid. He's also a Talmud of the Mir Yerushalayim. He learned it for many years, just as I did. Welcome, Rib Shulam. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on this podcast. I know many friends and many listeners that, I don't know, many friends that actually listen to this podcast, so it really is an honor uh, to be part of this. So, Shulam, question. Do you have a message that you like to give across when you're singing? Always. I think singing is a message. If there's, if there's no message, then you're you're just uh, a karaoke singer or something. You know, I think there always needs to be a message. Does it have to be the same message all the time? Probably not, and definitely not. Sometimes it's a happy song and you want to express happiness and uh, thanks to Hashem or thanks for a specific thing. Um, sometimes it's a tefillah and you want to uh, you want to get the message of the tefillah. So you want to be more other people. So it's always a message. That's what music is about. It's an expression and in the best, most possible way, more than even speaking. Do you see yourself more of an entertainer or somebody trying to inspire? I think it's a it, good question. I, I don't think of myself or see of myself anything. I, I do my thing and whatever, and whatever they, the people decide how they take it. But I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, if people get inspired, I wouldn't say it's a form of entertainment, but it is a form of uh, 
looking for the right word, but people just want to feel good or they want to feel inspired or want to feel motivated. And they find that by even by entertainment that makes them happier, it makes them focus better or makes them uh, closer to Hashem or in any way whatsoever. So I think it's a, form, it's a combination of both. People can be entertained um, in a way by getting inspired as well. Okay. So people can watch it in a very uh, motivational talk and be super, super inspired, and, and that's what they do for their entertainment. Right? I think. Okay. Yeah. So you're the first from a Jewish entertainer, a singer, to sign with a, a, a non-Jewish major record label, Universal. Mm-hmm. Do you find a struggle? Uh, do you find balancing that with Yiddishkeit? Um, so with actual getting a record deal, that, that wasn't, that wasn't a problem. Of course, I made sure there was a lot of negotiations back and forth to make sure that I have the last word and I can turn down anything because of, I guess, religious, uh, things. So that, that wasn't a struggle. Um, the opportunities that arose afterwards definitely had, were, were very, far as what the potential could be um, for Parnassal-wise, as well as popularity or just be put yourself out there. And I always ask the Rav, I always ask the Shailov what, you know, even those things are 100% okay according to Allah, but it might be uh, exposing uh, the younger generation or other people to stuff that they wouldn't usually be exposed to, or uh, or other things, or sapasnish kind of things that would look, you know, not okay, even though it's 100% according to Allah. So I, I did turn down a lot of things that, that I wouldn't say it is a struggle or balancing. It was just things that it was like challenges or things that would you would hope that it could be okay or that it would be amazing. But once you ask a Shaila and then it says no, it's no. You don't even you don't even look back. And at the same time there are amazing opportunities that come come across and you it gives you an opportunity, a platform to inspire so many people beyond of our own community. And that is that is an amazing feeling for people that are either Jewish and not religious and get um interact with it, get first time they interact with the with the from person, they have a complete different perspective on from what they had when they you know, saw either on the news or wherever they get their information from. Or it could be someone that's not even Jewish at all and also looks at to it makes relatable to Jews and, and the Yidden and from Yidden in a completely different way. So and and inspire them to do the right thing. And uh it's it's the best feeling when I get an email or a message that, you know, inspired them to become you know, more from or inspired them to do something good for the Jewish people because uh, they understand the culture or they feel more connected now in a certain way. So uh, that's, that's the best feeling. And that music has that power because people will listen to music and a lot of those stories that I hear they were just on YouTube and they randomly heard one of my songs and which made them go to uh, more songs and uh, connect. I, I actually recently had a story. I was in Chicago for a concert and they told me you should re- meet your meet the sponsor. They say the name. It's such a, they didn't actually have a very uh, Yiddish name at all. So I'm like, okay, you know, of course, no problem. So I went, uh, I met her, and she says, you know, I, I just gotta have to say that I listened to your songs on YouTube, and I got so inspired, and I listened to other songs, and then you got me so connected to, to Judaism, and eventually converted, and, uh, you know, that's why I just really wanted to, I wanted to sponsor your show, and we really, you know, appreciate that you're here, and I'm like, oh, wait, wait a minute, what, you know, and uh, that, that was just recently.
Um, and, and there, there, yeah, there are actually a few such kind of stories, which never know. Music is so powerful, and it goes way beyond uh, the language that you speak, even if you don't understand. It goes way beyond even our own community now that you have, have platforms that it can reach anywhere and everywhere. It's, you just never know where it can inspire someone. Do you have red lines like you know you you have Rabbanim? What, what what type of pro shows would or where would you and where would would you not sing? I wouldn't say there are obviously there are red lines when there's a halacha problem, but it, it's it's an analysis on a on a case by case basis, and we evaluate what it would be, how how it would look, and what it would uh, you know look from the outside, what it look from the inside, what it would uh, take for me, and what are the, the Benefits, uh, you know, all, all different things. It's not a, you know, it's like giving uh, requirements, and this is what it is. If you, if this is uh, all the requirements, then I can do it. It's, so give, give me an example. Is, give me an example of one or two times you said no. Um, I, I actually don't. I don't like. I actually want to ask a question, Shana, and, and it took a few, few, few days to get an answer because it was a pretty big opportunity. And said, look. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I would say you didn't have to do it because of certain reasons. But I want you to say, come out publicly that you didn't do it. I'm like, no, it's fine. I, I don't want to say if, if no one knows. If I don't do, if no one knows, no one even knows that I did. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm I don't mean. Not, that, that I don't person. mean. A, I don't mean a particular. You know, this and this date over there. But give us an example of something you said no to. What, whatever anonymous event it was, for the reason of. Give me an example. Um. For one, it was uh, when when people will tell will, will say the story or say, "Oh, you heard Shulamer saying uh, there and there." That would it would be taken out of context, way way out of what it actually was. Uh, that was one scenario, which you know, just for the name of of myself and, and the firm world, whatever, that it didn't sound like, oh, you went in there and that thing. Although, you know, it was completely made sure it was different and separated and whatever. That was one. One was to, uh, that the younger generation would be exposed to a specific, um, I would say maybe show or or make a watch or the younger generation would want to be exposed to that. So I said no as well. And they told me to say no and I said no to that. Um, but, uh, a few more things, but it's it's not like a black and white and everything. It's some you just and I analyze the whole thing, and I'm not the one to make the final decision. So whatever their decision is, for whatever reason, I'll, I'll just I'll go with it. You know, th th there are certain things that are like schnapps. You know, beauty could be schnapps, money could be schnapps, power could be schnapps, as well as celebrity status. And you have to have a really strong head not to let schnapps get to your head after after a few shots. You see people, they make a little money, and the next thing they know, their nose is in the air, and they're running around with, talking with accents, flying on private jets. All these things are like schnapps. How do you prevent the celebrity factor, which is a very powerful schnapps, from getting to your head? Um, first of all, am I a celebrity? I, I don't know. I think it's a very rel it's a relative question. You know, when you're when you're smaller, you look up, oh, that's success. And then when you get bigger, that's success. That's celebrity. When a hundred people know about you, you're a celebrity. A thousand people, a hundred thousand, a million. It's always like I, I don't know. And and honestly, I think in the singing industry, there's there's a very big siyata the shmaya. I mean, a very. I, you see, I everywhere. I'm sorry. Is a, 
living in, in, in a way where you you know that everything everything is siyata zishmaya. You could have singers that are extremely busy and popular for a short period of time, and then nothing happens afterwards. They're they're quiet. You could have people that are have amazing voices, and then something happens with the voice. A voice is a, it's a matana from Hashem, and everything is a matana. And every day, it's it's also because we live in such a I wouldn't say unpredictable, but un, un, it's not the same. It's not a nine to five job. It's not something that you have a business and you invest in your business. It's you, you're based off people booking you, and they can book you, and they cannot book you, and it could have months that are extremely busy, and some months that are extremely not. So you really see the Yad Hashem exactly. Oh, sometimes you need something, and you get a gig like the next day. Sometimes, or it's, it's from Hashem, it's, and and we try to do the best we can with it. So it's not ours to own. It's not it's not us. It's not who defines us as a person. I, I think it's it's uh, not just me uh, speaking to a lot of different singers. And I, I think it's a very understandable thing. We all know it's something. And it's, it comes from Hashem, and we need to have this mind every day and every minute. So, and uh, would you would you push young singers to go into singing careers? Um, it depends. I always say singing is a great income. I don't think it's a great parnasa. Meaning to say, yeah, you can make a lot of income at, at some point, at some period in time, and it's it's not so consistent, it's not so predictable, and depending uh, when there's a lot of competition, it's not so... It, it's, there's a lot of business things to think about, but if you like singing and people want to hear you, like I once heard a story from uh, What If I Been David when he started out earlier. He was... Um, he was very, uh, it was very hard for him. He did a tour and he got a horror story. He got sick. It was just way too much for him. And he came back. He, he told it and he said, that. I was like, I, I'm not doing this. This is not for me. It's too much. He opened up his eyes and looked at him. Who gave you permission? Hashem gave you something. It's not, it's not your, it's not for you to decide if you want to sing and inspire people. This is what you have to do. Hashem gave it to you for a reason. So if people feel that they can inspire other people and sing and and and, not, and do it for the right reasons, uh, of course they should continue. Should they decide that that's their income? I, I, I don't, you know, I worked a full-time job for a long, long time while I was singing. So uh, yeah, again, it's it's, uh, it's ultimately let people decide. There are so many talented singers, composers, and songwriters that are just not known. So many, and then there are, I mean, great singers and popular singers. I would say they're, I mean, everyone is talented in their own way, 100%. But they are, they like. It. Extremely tough. It's you have to let the people decide what you want to hear. If the people want to, if you touch, strike a certain chord in people's hearts, then they'll enjoy it, and that's what people will want to hear. So you know, you can't judge yourself uh, on on a hundred percent on everything. You just gotta try to do the best you can. It's just like everything in life, and and see how it's taken by by other people. Who who had the most impact on your career, on you? Uh, I would say, uh, starting out was obviously my brother, my older brother Yankee, the Hazan. I mean, I started with a lot, of, you know, growing up with him, learning music, and then Hazanas, and grew up with that. But I'm, I'm not sure if there's one specific influence. It's, it's every stage. You always learn more at every stage in your career, every stage in life. You, you learn so much more. So there's always different people in your life that will inspire you or will help you or will teach you or you can learn from. And it doesn't necessarily mean within the music career. It could be in life in general and business perspective or rachmias, ragashmias, in every every way. So there's always places to learn from. Who who is your favorite singer? Mm, That's a good question. I don't think, I, I wouldn't say I have a favorite singer. Like I said before, it's it's an expression. Sometimes you feel one way, and you want, and that singer will will or that song or that music will help you feel that way. Uh, sometimes a different singer, a different style. So, so who who, who are your two or th- who are your two or three favorite singers? 
have a very diverse uh, taste. So it's it could be ranging from Hebrew, Yiddish, English, Italian, Chazanus, singing, everything in between. So we are able to listen to music. Um, now, most of the time at home in the cars is uh, songs that are played for the kids. So, so you know, it's very, uh, it's, it's very diverse. What surprised you the most? You know, going into a new career, singing, seeing all around the world. Is there something that sticks out? Wow, I didn't realize this or this surprised me. I learned this. I learned time and time again what kind of impact we can have on people. Because every time you go uh, to, let's say, somewhere out of town or even in uh, somewhere that is not such a Jewish area um, in Europe or wherever, and someone will stop you on the street and be like, wait a second, you're, you're a singer, you're a lemmer, shoot them lemmer, or even... Even locally, when someone would say, tell me a story of they were in a specific area or they were sick and, and they heard music or that gave them the chizik, that gave them the chizik, they listened to this song before going to surgery. That is time and time again, people surprise you how much really that it has an impact on their life and not in just a passive way and a very, very life-changing way. And, and that surprises me most. I mean, it's 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 uh, humbling and it's also uh, the responsibility of giving out the right music and giving out music period in general or or, or making sure it reaches the right uh, the right people not just for a business perspective but also to inspire them as best as possible as many people if it helps so so many people it could obviously help a lot more and now you're obviously very young but notwithstanding that. What's your proudest moment to date? Of myself or of other people, I think, I, I don't know. It's, it's a, you always set yourself goals, and when you reach that goal, if you would have told me two years ago of, or three years ago, whatever, of where I would be in a specific place uh, today, I would be, that would be like, wow, amazing. And I would say, you know, and now that I'm here, I was like, I'm so grateful, I'm so glad. Uh, but sometimes we don't even realize ourselves, and... You, know, you make yourself goals, you make to be it like uh, not just in your career or setting aside a certain time of day to be with your family, a certain time of learning, uh, davening, everything. And you, and, you, and you achieve those things, it makes you proud and you're proud of yourself to, to accomplish that and achieve that and push further. Sure. It's also, it's, it's, it changes, things change, things evolve. It's not a one-time thing. We evolve, we evolve the business evolves, we change, we, we grow. And uh, so there's always different stages and different uh, things that inspire you and different goals and different moments that you're proud of. So looking forward to young, 10 years from now, what would you say, wow, it would be amazing if I could accomplish X? What would that be? Um, uh, that's a good question. I mean, ultimately... You know, I have Baruch Hashem and Pranasa that I shouldn't have to think of what to sing, what to sing. I should really focus on doing the right thing um, uh, and, and and inspire as many people as possible. Have enough time to be, you know, home with the kids. You know, sometimes it's hard when you go over eat so many Shabbosim. You know, being with your family, that's a challenge. You know, be there for my for my family as much as I can and uh, have enough time to set aside to, to learn enough, to daven uh, normally. And, you know, to just do, to be all in all well-rounded with Berachmis and Begashmias and, and uh, be there for, for myself and my family as best as possible. I think that's 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 a good. I think that's a goal that everyone has, and uh, some people uh, don't don't generalize it that way. But I think if you overall generalize uh, the life, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to be able to do, and uh, that's I think most people's goals. Shulam, thank you very much. It was uh, a joy speaking to you.
Thank you so much for uh, having me, and it was uh, a pleasure to be on this podcast, and uh, hopefully we can inspire as many people as possible, and uh, you can enjoy the music. Cool, so thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.